Hello, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. Sorry, that sounded like a question. I know who I am, really. I, I, I do. think you are. I, I'm pretty sure you are. <laughs> Still. Well, um, fuck me. I totally blanked. Oh my god. What am I supposed to say? Would you like to say a special hello to anyone? Yes. Our number one and only fan. This is going so good, dude. So good. All right. I'm so my message. Here for it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is the clumsiest I've ever been with this. Wow. Holy crap. Anyway. So, fan, describe to me in three words the tattoo you want. No, oh, I'm laughing too hard. <laughs> Wow, this is like a train wreck and like a plane crash <laughs> all in one. <laughs> it's just fire and metal. What what does the fan need to describe? <laughs> the, Please tell the us. The tattoo that they want in three words describe. Okay, let's move on. It's not going to get better. <laughs> Great. Or worse. <laughs> I hope you've got that, fan. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm wiping tears away. Today we'll be discussing Happy Plays by Emily Henry. Although Harriet and Wynn know that they have been broken up for five months, no one else does. When they are summoned to Maine for their annual summer meetup with their besties, they don't want to let said besties know that there is trouble in paradise. In fact, paradise is lost, possibly for good. So, to keep the peace for one final summer hang, they agree to remain fake engaged before going back to their separate, uncoupled lives. But, as the forced proximity with Wynne causes Harriet to relive their greatest hits, she begins to wonder if her happy place is actually a place at all. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, do you think we should start off talking about the besties? Like, intro them? Well, let's let's start before that, even. I think we need a good picture of, of Harriet. Okay. So Harriet, she is the second daughter of crappy parents. I mean, Harriet wouldn't say her parents are crappy, though. She would say that they have always been there for her and have sacrificed a lot to be parents for her and her sister. I think the sacrifice is the key word <laughs> in that whole sentence there yep her parents had lofty goals when they were young and just started being together and then they got pregnant with harriet's older sister eloise and stayed together and raised eloise and then later harriet together and harriet just has this impression that they have silently hated each other forever they wouldn't have stayed together if not for babies I think one of them wanted to be a doctor. I don't remember what the other one wanted. They both had things they wanted that they didn't get to do. And so her dad ended up teaching high school or something. And her mom ended up... I don't even know what the fuck her mom does. That's how sad their lives are. Point is, is the parents didn't really get what they wanted. So... Correct. Then the kids always feel like they have to make up for that. Yes. And like all parents... I think you want your kids to be better off than how you are, right? Yes, in theory. Hopefully, in theory. 
But I think Harriet's parents go a little step further than that because what they want is their kids to fulfill their lost dreams. Yes, because then the kids will definitely be better off because they'll have somebody else's dreams. Yeah, because that's what we all want. We all want to make up for what our parents have missed out on, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. (laughs) So Eloise, the older sister, is kind of the black sheep of the family because at one point she was like, yeah, no, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go to cosmetology school instead and is now a disappointment. Oh, no. Uh, Harriet has seen this. And thought to herself, well, I certainly don't want that. I don't want to be a disappointment. I'm going to be an overachiever. Yes, I can't bear to make my parents feel disappointed. In fact, I can't bear to let anyone around me feel any negative feelings at all, if I can help it. I need to fill in all those gaps with my amazingness. Mm Mm-hmm. That'll fix it. Like you said, she's an overachiever. She was never a problem. Never had a rebellious phase, got excellent grades, got a full ride to college, decided to go to medical school, and she's just kicking ass and taking names. But when she thinks about her life, like her choices, it's not about, oh, I want to be a doctor. It's about, oh, I want to make my parents' sacrifices worth it. So once she gets to college... She meets up with Sabrina and Cleo. They're all roommates. And she finds the love and acceptance and sisterhood, family, whatever you want to call it, in those two friends. Woo-woo. They fit. And one of the great things about them is that Harriet doesn't have to make things okay for them. (laughs) I think she still feels like she has to sometimes, because I don't think she even realizes that she does it. Well, she has some ingrained habits, like the nobody can fight. We have to make sure everything is okay. But there's a point where she is upset for some reason and doesn't let them know. And then they find her and let her know that, no, this is what friends are for. Friends are here to lean on and help each other. And you don't have to hide these things. It's okay to be vulnerable, have what people feel are negative emotions and all that. One of the traditions that she and her friends have is every year they go to Lobster Fest in Maine and they stay at Sabrina's dad's cottage. Sabrina is from a wealthy family and this cottage is basically like... (laughs) If a cottage were a mansion, (laughs) it would be Sabrina's dad's cottage. That's what it seems like. Sabrina and Harriet bond over their crappy parent experiences. Sabrina's parents are divorced and her dad goes from wife to wife to wife. She feels like she's this neglected memento from her parents' marriage. Meanwhile, Cleo's parents, they're good. Everything's good there. So she's the one that brings the healthy parental relationships to the trio. (laughs) Honestly, I think she's probably the most emotionally healthy of the three of them. Yeah, I agree. Based on her actions in the story. (laughs) Okay, so the way this book is written, it doesn't necessarily alternate every other chapter, but 
There are flashback chapters and then there are present day chapters. For the interest of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the past chronologically. (laughs) And then we'll talk about the present. Makes sense. If you want to get the full enjoyment and reveal of these things, of course, you need to read the book. Of course. (laughs) I'm going to butcher it. (laughs) Harriet, at one point in college, spends, I think, a semester abroad in England. And while she's gone, Sabrina and Cleo end up rooming with Parth and his bestie, Wynne. I want to know if Parth is short for something because I have never... (laughs) Maybe. Wynn is short for Windsor or something, right? Wyndham. Wyndham. Okay, yeah. But at any rate, Harriet has never met Wynn, but she has heard that he's cool. Apparently, Sabrina's kind of into him at this point in time. But Wynn is very hands-off with his friend group. We stay friends. We do not fraternize. There's no no crossing of the lines. (laughs) We know, I mean, if you've heard the summary, we know that (laughs) didn't stay the way. (laughs) We know that he didn't maintain that role. So Harriet is flying home and she's ready to go to Lobster Fest. She lands in Maine and instead of Sabrina and Cleo picking her up, it is Wynne picking her up because Sabrina and Cleo have started drinking a little early that day. (laughs) There is immediate attraction between Harriet and Wynne. Just electric. They have some really fun banter, but Wynne has his rules about not dating within the friend group, and Harriet also feels kind of weird about that whole thing as well, because she knows that Sabrina likes him. I think that's initially what puts her off. And we have lots of flashbacks about the tension between the two. It's thick, like a thick fog of lust just all the time between them. Somehow the friends have no idea. Allegedly. Uh, There's some point where they're, again, they're in Maine, they're playing a game of sardines, and Wynne and Harriet are crammed together in this tight little space, and the tension just rises, and they have a kiss, and then they go, oh, nope, 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 uh uh-uh, oops. (laughs) We should not be doing this, this is bad. (laughs) And they try to go back to being friends, but it just doesn't. And eventually they wind up sneaking around and hooking up for at least a year. And it's magical and amazing and secret. And then when they realize they're in love with each other, they come clean to their friend group. Surprise! We're dating! (laughs) We're in love! Woo! At that point, Wynn takes Harriet back home to Montana to meet his folks. He has a wonderful family. Mm-hmm. His parents are amazing. And he has two sisters who are also amazing. He feels like they're similar to Harriet because he thinks Harriet is brilliant and a genius. And he's just in awe of her. And he's just, you know, he's just there. <laughs> <laughs> he got picked up by soccer. Got an invitation to go to college. Have some of it paid for, for soccer, and even though I didn't really care about soccer. And he just kind of is there. And I mean, he has a business degree and all, but eh. he doesn't have lofty goals like being a doctor or something. Later, when 
Harriet is ready to find a residency. She is placed in San Francisco. Wynne follows her there, but he kind of struggles immediately to find his place in San Francisco. So while Harriet is working super hard, kicking ass, taking names as far as he knows, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. (laughs) He's like, I'm here. They get a tiny little apartment. There's a point where Wynne finally proposes. It's revealed he's had this ring for a while. It's very sweet. And then at that point, Harriet brings Wynne home to meet her family. And there's this stark difference between the two families. (laughs) It's painful. (laughs) They're sitting around at dinner. It's very uncomfortable. Eloise is there. Wynne asks Eloise how cosmetology is. Her parents, like, shut it down. No, see, Eloise sucks. Harriet is the golden child in this family. She does what we want. Awkward. There's one point where Harriet talks with her mom. She's like, do you like him? And her mom's like, um, he seems sweet, but maybe you don't get married right away. You should probably finish school and get your career going. And I mean, the subtext there is don't settle like I did. (laughs) nice don't let him force you to abandon your dreams like what happened to me later that night (laughs) when and harriet go through the most depressing family photo album ever (laughs) ever (laughs) harriet opens up to win about her family a bit she talks about how she knows her parents aren't in love with each other she knows they sacrificed so much for her She just doesn't want to be trapped in a loveless, horrible marriage like they are. And she asks Wynne to promise that they'll give each other up before they turn into her parents. And she almost feels like that's inevitable. She doesn't know how else life could go, really. She doesn't want it to go that way, but (laughs) that's what's been modeled for her. Yeah, it seems like she has expiration dates already planned. Yeah, and I mean, her mom has planted these seeds already. Seeds of doubt. Mm-hmm. Wynne does not promise that. Instead, he says he will never stop fighting for her. He's always going to love her forever. And even though Harriet didn't ask for that, secretly, that's what she wants. She wants that. She's happy he said that. But she's kind of afraid to believe it. They go back to San Francisco. Things happen. Harriet keeps putting off the wedding. She's trying to prove her mom wrong. See, he'll wait for me. It's fine. (laughs) He's not doing me wrong like dad did to you, mom. It's okay. He's a good guy. He (laughs) loves me. It's real. It's true. It's real. It's a fairy tale. Unfortunately, life happens. Wynn's dad dies kind of unexpectedly. It just sends Wynn into this spiral of depression. He's already been struggling finding his place in San Francisco, and this is just like the final (laughs) nail in the coffin. Pardon the the macabre joke for him. And Harriet just doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do. She can't be perfect enough to make Wynn better. Because, of course, it's not about that. Yeah, obviously. But the way she sees it is like, Oh, well, he's struggling, so I'll never fight with him or argue with him or show him any negative things at all because I want to make life easy for him. 
And then when it turns out that his mom has Parkinson's and she falls, they decide together that Wynn should go back to Montana for a while and stay with his mom until his sister's able to come stay with his mom. And it's meant to be temporary, but when he leaves, Harriet just feels in her gut, yep, and that is it. <laughs> that is the end. <laughs> to my sad, <laughs> depressing love story. Uh, but they can't, They try. They try. They do try. Life continues to happen. There's times when Wynn isn't able to come visit when they planned. There's times when they miss each other's phone calls. Of course, Harriet's super busy doing the doctor thing. And so she can't really go visit him. And it's just, it sucks. Long distance sucks ass. Harriet pretends it's fine because she figures if she pretends hard enough, maybe it'll be real. <laughs> maybe it will be fine. <laughs> Finally, there's this fateful night. Harriet occasionally goes out with her colleagues. And there's this one fateful night where she meets up at the bar, but most of the colleagues aren't there. Just one of them who happens to be a dude. They hang out. Harriet doesn't think anything of it. She doesn't think it's weird because they've all hung out in a group before and it's fine and he walks her home and then he tries to kiss her and he actually does kiss her and when she pushes him away and she's like yeah no um i'm not available dude <laughs> i have a fiance hello he acts all surprised like what the furniture guy really <laughs> he's never here but i am <laughs> uh, harry's like yeah fuck you um she is freaking out so she calls win she needs to get this off her chest right away. She's like, oh my God, this thing happened. I need to let him know. And it wasn't me. And oh my gosh. And so when she calls him, she tells him this whole story and he breaks up with her over the phone. <laughs> yes, it was that I'm setting you free. Yeah, that's basically his point of view. I'm not good for you. Maybe you should be with a guy like that. Someone who shares your lofty ambitions and is a go-getter, not like me, who just wants to build furniture and live in Montana. You need someone else like this dude. And I think the kiss is just, he doesn't think she cheated on him or anything. He believes her, but he just feels like maybe that's the right type of guy for her. He's being self-sacrificing. Yes. And he's not fighting for her like he said he would. Yes. Wynn has a complex of his own. He does not feel like he's good enough. He has these two marvelous sisters who are amazing and super successful. And he just doesn't have, he, he's not a driven person. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he thinks there is. Yeah. So they hang up the phone. And then like the very next week, she gets a box of her stuff that when shipped back to her, Harriet is just left feeling again, like she's not enough. So I knew this would happen. I'm not enough for my parents. That's why I'm trying so hard. I'm not enough for Wynn, even though I tried so hard. I am destined for sadness. <laughs> she, she also doesn't have really a good idea of why he dumped her either. No. She's assuming it's over the kiss because she can't think of what else happened that was wrong. They never had an argument. They never had any conversation where things seemed to be wrong. So it's just this big question mark as a result of all this she's been pulling away from everybody she's not a happy person she's kind of miserable she doesn't really like doing what she's doing but she's doing it anyway she doesn't really hang out or talk to her friends anymore because she doesn't want to tell anybody that they broke up she and Wynn kind of agree that they're not going to tell anybody for a while 
I don't know why, but that's what they agree. I mean, he doesn't even tell his parents, so. Yes. It's all very hush-hush. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yes, and then as the months pass, it becomes harder and harder to tell people because it's like, well, I haven't told you for this long, so. (laughs) It's just this (laughs) secret that just gets bigger as time goes by. (laughs) So now we're in present day. It's time for Lobster Fest again. Harriet is on her way to what she calls her happy place to vacation with her friends at the cottage in Maine. As far as she knows, Wynne isn't going to be there. She and Wynne kind of had one of those conversations like, you can have these vacations and I'll have those vacations. Yes, we'll just (laughs) alternate. It'll be fun. (laughs) We'll share custody of the friend group. (laughs) She has plans that she's going to tell everyone at the same time that she broke up with Wynne, just rip that band-aid off and have her people there, be able to move on with her life, hopefully. But when she gets there, she gets to the cottage. Surprise! Wynne is there! Yay! What? <laughs> Sabrina's like, look, he was able to make it after all. Isn't that amazing? And Harriet starts to tell everyone um yeah no actually uh this is bad and then Wynne is like uh no we're not (laughs) (laughs) Wynne kisses her to prevent her from telling everyone that they're broken up and he kind of whispers in her ear like you need to hear everything they're gonna say before you open your loud mouth (laughs) (laughs) because surprise Sabrina and Parth are getting married yeah that week (laughs) (laughs) uh it's a big deal they're super excited and sabrina makes a huge deal over how when and harriet's relationship is a wonderful example of it being able to really work it's let her know that it's actually okay to get married because prior to that she didn't really want to get married cleo also has a significant other uh kimmy who is there. So the trio has now turned into a sextet. Is that what we call it? A trio of couples because Sabrina and Parth got together. Harriet and Wynn supposedly are still together. And then Cleo and Kimmy are together and they're fine. Their relationship's great. They farm. They're like great. There's nothing wrong with them. As far as we know. Sabrina this whole time, it seemed almost manic. Like, Yay! Isn't everything wonderful? Oh my gosh, life is perfect and it's just rainbows and sunshine and glitter and oh wow, you guys are amazing and I love that you're together and eee! Guess what? I'm gonna let you guys have the big bedroom with the big shared bed and the bathroom that isn't private at all. <laughs> it's gonna be great for you. Typically, Wynne and Harriet share what is dubbed the kids' room, which is two twin beds that they usually push together. And Harriet was thinking, okay, we can make it work. We got the kids' room. We have separate beds. It'll be okay. Oh, no, no. We're in this room with the one giant bed and the glass bathroom. It's your one bed trope that you like so much. Yeah. Yes, it is. And no privacy. (laughs) None. (laughs) Yay. That's not awkward. <laughs> Harriet and Wynne go up to their room and in private they have this conversation where they decide, 
okay, we're going to let everyone have one awesome night and then we'll tell them tomorrow. Good? Good. Okay, everything's fine. Yep, totally fine. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. Harriet gets super drunk. She doesn't really remember what happens. She wakes up in the morning and she's laying on the floor, cuddled with when in her favorite t-shirt that he owns that he brought with him. (laughs) She thinks they had sex, but no, she just blacked out, puked all over herself and he took care of her. Aww. He says, yeah, you wouldn't sleep on the bed. I tried to make you sleep on the bed and you were like, no. And so you slept on the floor and I wasn't (laughs) going to sleep on the bed. So I also slept on the floor. (laughs) He asks her if she's happy. It's really important to win that Harriet is happy. And Harriet feels like he's asking to be forgiven. Did I do the right thing by breaking up with you? So she doesn't want to answer. She doesn't want to lie and say yes and give him absolution. And she doesn't want to tell him the truth and let him know that she still wants him because she feels that's pathetic. Then there's this part where Harriet has a talk with Parth in the pool and he tells her this beautiful story about him and Sabrina and it makes her realize that they can't tell the friends the truth. They have to keep up the pretense the whole week. She convinces Wynne to continue with the ruse as well. He initially doesn't want to. He's feeling kind of uncomfortable with the amount of PDA that they have to exhibit to maintain the semblance of coupledom. But he also has a conversation with Parth and is similarly convinced. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, this is the other thing. I totally left this part out. But one of the big bombs that Sabrina dropped at the beginning was this is the last time they're all going to get together in this cottage because her dad is going to have to sell it due to a divorce. So not only are they getting married that week, but the cottage will no longer be there next year. Whoops, I probably should have said that earlier. Pretend I did. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they have this really ritualistic sort of vacation every year. And it's even more so important, especially for Sabrina, that they keep to all the traditions that they normally do, because this is the last one and they have to make it the best one. Sabrina's gone so far as to make everyone itineraries. They all have a secret appointment later in the week, different surprise for each of them. It's a whole big deal. Like I said, Sabrina, she's super manic during this part (laughs) of the story. They have a couple annual things that they do. One of them is they go grocery shopping and they play grocery gladiators. And then they go to this bookstore and they all pick out a book. And this year, Wynne gets an expensive coffee table book, which is completely unlike him because usually he doesn't really have a lot of money to spend. So he kind of is thrifty. And then having a coffee table book isn't really something he would buy anyway. And Harriet is just wondering what is up with him. You know, (laughs) his hair is longer. He's got a beard. He's buying expensive coffee table books. Is he nesting? Is he with someone? They'll get back to the cottage and start getting ready for a picnic slash day trip to the national park. Wynne is sent inside to go get the wine, but he's taking a while. So Harriet is also sent inside to go get the wine and they get locked in the wine cellar on accident. Is it an accident? (laughs) (laughs) It does not unlock from the inside, only from the outside. Weird design feature. 
<laughs> it doesn't feel safe, does it? No. Um, I guess there's like, there's a panel with buttons, and I guess if they knew the code, they could get out, but they can't. So there's that. Wynn has claustrophobia. He's freaking out. Harriet feels bad for him because she's still in love with him and cares about him, and she's trying to help him work it out. But this cellar is filled with the ghosts of relationship past. This is where they had their first kiss. This is where they hid during that game of sardines. And they kind of relive that moment because Harriet's like, well, if we hide in the smaller space together, then maybe it'll feel less trapped because we can look out of the small space and see a bigger space. She asks Wynne to talk to her. Wynne asks her about San Francisco and her residency. And she doesn't want to answer She's feeling salty, she's feeling protective, <laughs> and she's also upset about this coffee table book. So she says, who is the coffee table book for? And they don't answer each other. They're close and it almost feels like how things used to be, but it just isn't. And when they realize they can't talk to each other, and really I think those questions, how's your residency, who's the coffee table book for, really they're just trying to figure out, did you move on? Or are you with someone else? And they're not ready to let the other one know that the answer is no. They're pathetically in love with each other still. And then Wynne again asks her if she's happy. He's really stuck on this. And the way he phrases it this time is he says he wants to know if she's happy too. Harriet's like, oh, so you're happy, huh? I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Happier without me. I see. Uh-huh. So she lies and says, yes, of course she's happy. Obviously, it's great. Everything's wonderful. My life is perfect. Thanks for asking. And then they're <laughs> conveniently saved by Sabrina, who lets them out of the cellar. Oh, I don't know, Harriet. Poor thing. <laughs> so after their day out, they get back to the cottage and they're getting ready to go out for dinner. And Harriet decides, you know what? I'm going to show him what he's missing. I think that's kind of what it is. It's like revenge because she has this sexy mm -hmm. red dress and she puts it on. She's just like, I'm wearing heels. I look hot. I know it. He will know it. Yep. <laughs> and he does know it. He's going to regret this. I'm going to make him pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when they get to the <laughs> lobster hut, there's not enough chairs at the table. And so she's like, oh, it's fine. I'll sit on your lap, Win. And she's like, sitting on his lap if you know what i mean and okay. when is just like um can we go talk and harriet's like no everything's fine why would i do that running her fingers through his hair saying don't you just love his hair like this <laughs> someone brings up his beard and he's like i'm gonna shave it and she's all no i love it Finally, he can't take it anymore, and he makes her go dance with him so they can actually have a conversation. And when they're dancing, he questions her about the dress and the heels and the attitude, and he's like, um, so is there anything else I need to know? Or <laughs> what's going on here? Why are you torturing me? <laughs> she responds with, what about the coffee table book and the beard and the constant texting? And he doesn't want to answer her. Yeah, so Wynn has been sli slightly... Uh, obsessed with his cell phone so far during this trip which is unusual for him as well which is another reason for harriet to suspect something is going on but ultimately this dance just leaves them both feeling angsty and the ante has been upped and they're both gonna be as flirty as possible with each other now <laughs> it was fun to read 
it probably wasn't fun to experience, you know, as that character or either of those characters. But probably not. Boy, was it fun to read about. <laughs> that night when they get back to the cottage, they go in the bedroom and he asks her, why are you punishing me? Because <laughs> it's fun. I mean... <laughs> Because she's pissed. <laughs> yes. She's mad. How dare he go off and be happy while her heart is still broken and shattered on the floor. Very rude. So fucked up of him. And then not only that, but she has no idea why he broke up with her. She doesn't know what she did wrong. Because of course it was her that did something wrong. He asks her for a truce. She finally relents. She's like, okay, fine. We can have a truce. The next day they all go out to lunch and Wynne leaves the table for a phone call. When he comes back, Harriet's like, oh, who is that? Was that your mom? He's like, no, it was a work thing. She's like, hmm, was it though? Suspicious. <laughs> the whole group is talking and Sabrina reiterates how important it is for her that everything is perfect for this last trip. And she's worried that things aren't going to go the way she wants them to go. And Harriet has this great suggestion, I thought, of managing everyone's expectations, you know? Yep choose one important thing that we don't want to miss out on and if we all get to do our one thing we can call the trip a success it's raining outside and so they decide to go to the movies and this is where some strife between sabrina and cleo starts to become more apparent sabrina has been sniping at cleo a little bit throughout this whole trip like yeah why didn't you let me come over to your house when i wanted to come over what are you hiding why can't i come visit you the dead bodies back off <laughs> why didn't you want to come out this one last time to this trip why did i have to like force you to come out and cleo is i think just trying to let it roll off her back at this point but harriet really wants to smooth things over that is that's her note that she plays she's got one note and she plays it really well <laughs> so I must not rock the boat if these other people are rocking the boat i have to adjust so the boat remains still <laughs> Gotta hold it steady for everyone. Yes. During the movie, Wynne and Harriet hold hands. They feel kind of close to each other. I think it's a scary movie. She's kind of leaning into him, but she can't stand it. It's starting to feel too real again. And so she goes and takes a bathroom break. And when she gets back to the lobby, she sees Wynne has gotten snacks. And they are now forced to converse with each other in the lobby. <laughs> Awkward. It's a good conversation. It is a needed conversation, and I'm happy they had it because Wynne finally tells her he did not dump her over the doctor guy. He never thought she cheated, and he was just in a really dark place due to the death of his father and struggling in San Francisco, and really all he wants is for her to be happy, and he doesn't want anything between them to mess her life up because he's thinking maybe she's dating this doctor guy now. And so she finally tells him, actually, no, I'm not dating the doctor guy. I'm single. And then he's all, oh, well, I'm not either. And she's all, oh, good. I'm glad you're not dating my colleague. Good job. But now they know. Now they know. And then that kind of breaks the dam a bit. So they open up a little bit about their lives. Oh, how's your family doing? Oh, how's your residency going? And, and it's kind of maybe okay, maybe more amicable. Nope, no one still knows that we broke up. Everyone thinks we're still together. That's great. Yeah, so <laughs> my mom told me you're taking a pottery class. I pretended I knew. That's when the pottery thing gets brought up. And the butt. The butt pottery. <laughs> yeah. 
the butt bowl. <laughs> yeah, Harriet, on a very dark day, went into a studio and spontaneously signed up for a beginning pottery class and has fallen in love with pottery. And even though she realizes she's not very good at it or she doesn't think she is anyway, she really loves it. Yay. It's a passion for her. And I don't think she's had a passion before. No, because she's been too focused on medical school and becoming a doctor. Living up to her parents' expectations. I was worth having. Yeah, so she made this bowl that looked kind of like a butt, and she sent a picture to Wynn's mom because they're friends, and Wynn's mom doesn't know they're broken up. So that's what that... (laughs) That's the context for that comment. They go back into the theater for the second movie... Kimmy passes out edibles for the movie and everyone gets fucking high except for Cleo who says, no, I don't do that stuff anymore for no reason at all. I just don't do it. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't drink. I don't take edibles. I don't do anything anymore for no reason. (laughs) Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. When the movie is over, it's still wet and dreary outside, even though the rain ended and they decide they're still going to go to the first night of the Lobster Fest and everyone is super fucking high, except for Cleo, who has fun sober. They all decide they're going to ride the Ferris wheel. Wynn and Harriet are in a car together. Wynn reminds her of a time she got high before and decided she was going to quit med school and build boats. (laughs) And this makes her feel guilty. What, I just wanted to throw away my whole dream over one joint? What was wrong with me? I cheated on my med school dream. It's not your dream, dude. Mm-hmm. Harriet shows Wynn pictures of her pottery, and one of them is really nice. It's a really nice vase, and she tells him that she named it Hank after his dad. And then she starts to feel stupid about the whole thing, and she's like, you know, I'm not like Michelangelo. I have no business naming my pottery pieces or whatever, and when keep in mind they're all fucking high it's like no this vase needs a name and that name is hank (laughs) she's like i'm gonna give it to your mom and he's like i want to give it to my mom and she's like it can be from both of us they almost kiss things are getting kind of close and intimate and they're high but it's dangerous. They didn't agree to kiss in private, only in public, to keep up the pretense of togetherness. Luckily, they are saved by Cleo throwing her bra down into their car. The whole Ferris wheel scene is great. Everyone being fucking high is hilarious. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Yes. And then when they get back to the cottage, everyone goes swimming in their clothes. And since they're in front of people, it's okay for Harriet to kiss Wynn. So she does, because she wants to. But it's part of the act, so it's fine. Even though I actually want to, it's okay. And no one knows except me. I deserve this. I need this. (laughs) When they get to their bedroom, they continue the kissing. They start undressing. And Wynne asks her, what does this mean? And Harriet says she doesn't know. And so that kind of stalls him out. And he stops and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. And she says, I don't know that you're the one who started it. I'm sorry, too. And then he says he needs to go take a walk and clear his head. And Harriet spends the night by herself contemplating her life. She doesn't even know what the fuck she wants. She's been on the medical career track for so long. She doesn't even know how to make any decisions that deviate from that path. She's let that dictate her life. Mm-hmm. 
if she pursues this thing with Wen, that screws up the whole medical career thing because he's happy in Montana. Yep. He wasn't happy in San Francisco. Nope. She can't do the residency in Montana, at least without transferring or something. I'm not sure how all that works. She doesn't even admit it to herself at this point, but I think she's starting to realize that, you know what? I don't even want to fucking be in med school. Yep. (laughs) But it's a secret, even from herself. The next day, everyone goes out on a rental boat for the day. There's some more strife between Sabrina and Cleo. Harriet goes off to kind of escape from that. And Wynne is like, what's going on? And Harriet's like, yeah, I don't know. They're fighting. And then Kimmy doesn't know what to do. And I don't know what to do. And Wynne mentions that he and Harriet never fought. That's important. (laughs) That they never fought. Yes. You think, oh, that sounds great, right? (laughs) Oh, you never fought. You get along. You're perfect. You're wonderful. Everything's wonderful. But then you got to think about Harriet's whole thing, like her whole personality and how she doesn't want to fight because she doesn't know how to fight and she wants to make things easy for people all the time and smooth things over and not rock the boat and how someone else might interpret those actions. (laughs) And she has no conflict resolution skills because it's just peacemaking, constant peacemaking. And fleeing. Lots of fleeing. And if she never acts mad, how can he know if she's mad or not? If she never acts upset, how can he know if she's ever upset? Yep. Kind of an issue. I don't think she sees that just yet, but... Nope. It's coming. Back at the cottage again, Harriet sees a text on what she thinks is her phone, but when she reads it, she realizes it's Wynn's phone, and it's from his mom, and it says something like, If you keep putting it off, it'll just be harder. You have to tell her. And Harriet's like, fuck. Fuck, fuck, (laughs) fuck. I don't want to know this. I shouldn't know this. This is not my business. But I really want to know what it's about. What isn't he telling me? What is he hiding? I can't ask. And oh my god, I wasn't supposed to see this. And this is terrible. And she has a meltdown and goes and cries in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) The next day... They decide that they need to do actual wedding things for Sabrina, even though Sabrina is like, no, everything will be perfect. I just want my friends here. Uh, No, Sabrina, you need a cake. You need flowers. Come on. Let's (laughs) try to do something. Wynn and Harriet get sent off to go buy a wedding cake and they go to this bakery and they will not make a wedding cake. They only make birthday cakes and they're only going to make a birthday cake if it says happy birthday on it. (laughs) I love that they bought a birthday cake. For the wedding. I love what they made it say, and I'm gonna butcher it, but happy birthday, comma, wicked pissa, which I googled and apparently means super awesome, so they didn't use it right. They used it like it was a name. <laughs> but well, because they wanted the cake person wouldn't put it on there, so they're like, you know, just do it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a wedding cake. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Secret wedding cake. It's fine. Wynne can tell that something's wrong with Harriet post reading text message. And he asks her, why are you pulling away? I thought we were being friends. And Harriet's like, I don't want to be your friend. And he says he doesn't want that either. And then they kiss. And then she pulls away and she's like, what about that text from your mom, though? And he's like, it's about work. And there's frantic kissing and groping. And he's like, we can either have sex in the car or I can explain this to you. And she chooses explaining. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Which, for purposes of the story, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them to have sex in the car, but it's fine. He shows her this website, and it turns out he now builds custom furniture, and he's super successful, and he loves his job. And he had started apprenticing for that in San Francisco, but kept it a secret because he was worried he'd fail at it and he didn't want her to know if he failed. And he's really happy with that part of his life. Yay! Again, the question, are you happy too? Did I do the right thing? Of course she's happy. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Her heart's breaking. (laughs) Again. Yeah. How can they be together, right? Yep. Even if they both want to be together, how can they be together? He's in Montana. He has a business that needs to be in Montana. She has a residency in San Francisco. Obviously, long distance wasn't working. How's it going to happen? Okay. Harriet is still kind of feeling like she's never going to know really why they broke up, but at least Wynn is happy. And she's spiraling a little bit and she's thinking about it and thinking about it. And then finally she decides, no, I need answers. I need some sort of closure before I go off and pretend we're apart and everything's fine and let him live his wonderful life. I need to know. So she goes looking for Wynn and finds him showering at the guest house. (laughs) Yeah, because the glass bathroom. He's naked in the shower and she's like, oh, is this a bad time? But they start talking anyway and she tells him it's killing her to act like everything's normal She doesn't know why. Why did he break up with her? Why did she get a four minute phone call and a box in the mail and nothing else? And she tried to tell herself it was because of that kiss, but she just doesn't know. What did she do wrong? How did she make Wynn so miserable that he was going to break up with her and like that? And she's really opened up. So Wynn gets out of the shower, wraps a towel around himself, gives her a big hug, and he explains. He says, you know, when my dad died, that really shook me up. I was really struggling before and that just made it worse. I kept thinking, you know, you have this whole new life. You're successful. You've got all your new doctor friends. You got your job at the hospital. I just don't know how I'm going to fit into that. And not only that, but he has this complex about feeling like he's not good enough. And he's like, you know, I felt like I was really good at loving you and I want to feel special and like I matter. And I never stopped loving you. But I felt like I was just making you miserable because I was miserable. And then you made things so easy. It felt like you didn't care. Like if I couldn't make a visit or we missed a call or something, it didn't seem to matter to you. And so when she told him about the kiss, he thought, well, maybe that's what she needs to be happy. Maybe I can be a martyr and go back to Montana and stay there. So many martyrs in this story. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) All the feels. (sighs) And he expected to see her happy when he saw her again this time. He's been working on himself. He's been doing therapy. He's been on depression meds. He's realized he's had depression his whole life and starting meds just lifted this fog and he's all, wow, I have actual energy and drive and (laughs) I'm able to do stuff now. (laughs) Yeah, same win, same. (laughs) He was hoping he'd see Harriet and Realize, you know, she's doing well, too. And I did the right thing, letting her go. And then when he saw that she was angry instead, he felt relieved because it meant she was hurting, too, which meant she did care about him after all. Oh, that's very sweet. Yes. And then Harriet, she's just being very vulnerable and open with him. And she says she can't stop feeling like she's his and he's hers. And he says he's still hers. And so they kiss. 
And this time he asks her again, what is this? She, she knows there can't be a future. So she says, I think it's one last I love you. Things progress and then they realize they don't have any condoms. And so Wynne goes down on her and they make plans for Wynne to go buy some condoms. <laughs> <laughs> that night, Sabrina tries to get everyone to have matching tattoos. Like it's a big old secret. They go walking, they go down this alley, they find this shop and Sabrina's like, surprise, matching tattoos. Yay. <laughs> and Cleo's like, no, I am not getting a tattoo today, which shocks her, shocks everyone really, because Cleo has tattoos. So it's not like she's against tattoos. Still, just because you have them doesn't necessarily mean you want to add, but yes. Correct. But Sabrina wants everyone to do things her way because she's so, oh, things must be perfect, Em. Okay. Things can't be broken, but unfortunately, this tattoo thing just reveals exactly how broken everything is. Because Cleo says no, and Harriet tries to start smoothing things over, and then Cleo's like, yeah, no, you can't smooth this over. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Harriet reveals finally that she and Wynne have been broken up for months. They can't get matching tattoos. And then Sabrina reveals that she knew that they'd been broken up because Parth had visited Wynne and accidentally seen a text on Wynne's phone and then told Sabrina... And this whole time she's been trying to get them back together and she thought they were doing really well. And oh my gosh, it's this whole thing. And then Harriet's like, what the fuck, dude? What, you were just messing with us this whole time? This was a whole like plot to get us back together. (laughs) This is my life, Sabrina. I'm not your toy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not your Barbie doll. Leave me alone. So now Cleo knows that they're broken up too. And she's just like, you know, maybe we're just all different now. And we've grown apart. And this trip is just reliving our glory days. And so that night, Cleo and Kimmy pack up their shit and they go sleep in the guest house. And Harriet takes their room, aka the kids room for the night. And she's just laying in bed going, how did my life get like this? Why can't I make everyone happy? Why am I never enough? I keep trying and I'm just never enough. It's not good enough. And then she starts thinking about her job, her career, and she's realizing she's never really pictured being happy in her career. Instead, she pictures what it would mean for her, which would be happiness, love, safety, financial security. Her parents would be proud of her. Their sacrifices would be worth it. But she doesn't see herself liking it. (laughs) Why am I doing this to myself? Who am I? (laughs) Why did I let myself take out all these loans before I realized this? Shit. (laughs) Whoopsie. I gotta say, Emily Henry put some pretty big stakes in this book because (laughs) giving up on your medical career is pretty big fucking deal. Yeah. (laughs) Especially at that point. Yeah. I mean, poor Harriet. She's basically trapped or she feels like she is in this whole thing. Like, I was on the medical career train and going woo, woo, woo. And now I don't want to be on this train anymore. (laughs) Whoops. One of the things she does when she's stressed or upset or whatever is clean. I wish I had that problem. (laughs) Oh my God, my house would be perfect. So she can't sleep. She's upset. She's spiraling. She goes and cleans the kitchen in her underwear. She's just thinking to herself, you know. Maybe everyone will get up in the morning and they'll see the kitchen is all perfect and clean and they'll decide things are fine and actually we're all still friends and tonight didn't happen. 
she wants to go see Wynne. And so she wraps herself up in a sheet and goes and knocks on his door. And when he opens it, she can see it looks like he was packing. He was planning to leave without telling anyone. Fucker. She says, you can't leave. We're not done fighting. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have this whole conversation about fighting. She didn't realize that people could love each other and fight. Those weren't mutually exclusive things. What? (laughs) Wynne's like, yeah, my parents fought, but they had rules. He tells her about the rules of fighting fair with people you love. I do think it's funny that she's like, your parents never fought. Well, yeah, they wouldn't fight for the few days that you guys were there. They'd be on their best behavior. (laughs) I know, they're definitely not going to fight in front of my fiancé. Gosh. I mean, unless things are real bad. (laughs) Yeah, they'd have to be real bad. The few seconds you're with them, that's not their entire reality. Or a few days or whatever. (laughs) No, they're perfect. Everything's wonderful. In Montana. It's a magical place, Em. My bad. Full of hope and wonder. Candy Mountain's there. And watch out, they'll take your kidney. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, like Charlie the Unicorn. Charlie. <laughs> Shun the non-believer. I don't know. It's it's not a fight, but it kind of is because she airs her grievances. And he's like, yeah, no, you're right. That was shitty of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then he points out that he felt like she didn't care about him. And she's like, I was trying to make things easy for you, not make you think I didn't care. And they end up talking things out slash quote unquote fighting. Then they have the sex because he did procure the condoms. Yay. As asked. And he asks her not to leave after sex and she stays the night and they cuddle and it's sweet and wonderful. And, you know, they're not getting back together, but they're together for now ish it's this weird fuzzy place that they're in in the morning harriet gets up sneaks out of bed and goes to get coffee for everyone and when she's at the coffee shop she discovers cleo is there already doing that they have the same idea harriet and cleo talk it out harriet learns that cleo is pregnant hence the no tattoo hence the no edibles hence the no drinking etc cleo gets picked up by kimmy And Harriet decides to continue on and actually go see what her surprise from Sabrina was that was on the trip itinerary that was that morning. And it turns out Sabrina booked some time for her at the pottery studio. Harriet is feeling kind of like a shit. Like, wow, how did Sabrina know all this about me when I've been pulling away this whole time? But she gets lost in the pottery. She loves it. It's amazing. It's magical. And then Wynn is there. He's found her. And she shows him how to throw on the wheel. She tells Wynne that she thinks she hates her job and she didn't tell him before because she was ashamed because he followed her to San Francisco. If she quit, she'd be letting him down. She'd be letting her parents down. She wouldn't be doing the good girl stuff that the good girl always does because she's the good girl. Wynne says that even though her parents love her and want what's best for her, what they want isn't necessarily right. I think that's pretty kind of him to say. I think... (laughs) Maybe would have been a little less (laughs) kind about the parents. I don't know. It's like, uh, Harriet, your parents suck and they've been forcing you into this career because of their lost dreams and they're trying to live vicariously through you. I'm glad that you've realized that and you don't have to do what they want. (laughs) But maybe the way Wynne said it was better. Yes. Probably it's better. More diplomatic. (laughs) At least diplomatic, yeah. (laughs) 
Harriet says, what if I go to Montana with you? And he says, you can't follow me like I followed you. I won't be enough, which just reveals his insecurities. Yes. Well, I mean, he makes a good point. You shouldn't move for a person necessarily. And then he says, you need to figure out what you want and do that. Especially at this stage of where they are. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. If they were already like in a long term thing, which I don't know. I, I don't know. I have thoughts. You can damn sure move for a person if the person is what you want. Yes. Which is like the moral of this story. <laughs> They're not really even together at this moment. Yeah, true. Her ducks are no longer in a row. Some are flying in the air, some are in the pond, wiggling their little flippy feet. You know, her ducks are all over the place. They're making pots. Exactly. So moving for a person in that moment gives you a direction, but I have reservations <laughs> about making an impulsive decision like that. Is it impulsive, though? This whole book, that's all she's wanted. She's been pining this entire book. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not impulsive. We have a very piney heroine. This is true. And there's constant like, you, 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 and what does my heart want? When? You? Him? It's all that. Yeah. This is true. That's the one thing she cares about. That and pottery. And her friend group. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And when the shit hits the fan, when the chips are down. Screw medical school. Yeah. Screw my loans that my parents co-signed on. I'm going to move to Montana. <laughs> they go back to the cottage and find out Sabrina is now missing. She and Parth had a fight and Sabrina left. Harriet and Parth are having a conversation. Harriet can relate to Sabrina. You know, Parth had good parents. Cleo had good parents. She and Sabrina, not so much. From Harriet's perspective, when you run, maybe you want someone to chase you. Yes. Like, that's what you want. <laughs> um, she tells Parth Sabrina didn't run because she didn't want him, but because she was scared she wouldn't be worth chasing. Parth's like, well, shit. <laughs> I thought she needed space. Oops. Everyone goes out to look for her. Cleo and Harriet happen to find Sabrina at the little chapel where Sabrina's parents had gotten married. Earlier in the book, we get a whole story from Sabrina about how this is like a happy memory. Her parents got married when she was like four or something. When they get there, Cleo is worried that Sabrina just wants to be alone. And again, Harriet has this insight. Yeah, I know, Cleo. Your parents are happy. And you are kind of healthy. You have this healthy relationship with your wife and everything. Sometimes you don't want to be alone. You go and hide to learn that you're not alone because people will find you. <laughs> <laughs> what if she needs to know that she's not alone? She needs us. And so they go in. Yes, that's what Sabrina needed. Obviously, they all talk it out. They all reveal their secrets and their feelings and reaffirm their friendship. And things are still kind of rocky, but back on the right path and they're BFFs and Sabrina still wants to get married. And so they all go back to the cottage and the wedding is this casual, intimate, perfect affair. It's lovely. And then that night, Harriet and Wynne make love and it's just awesome and bittersweet because the very next morning, Harriet leaves without telling Wynne goodbye and Sabrina and Cleo drive her to the airport. And they kind of question her. They're like, are you sure you don't want to tell Wynn bye? And Harriet's like, I can't. I'm like, okay, let's go then. <laughs> Onward. <laughs> at the airport, Harriet's gone through security. She's there pretty early. She's looking at her phone. 
She's looking at Wynn's business website and she realizes, I want to be with Wynn in Montana. I want to be with Wynn wherever the fuck he is. Why am I doing this to myself? And she thinks about what Wynn had told her and she thinks, you know, that's kind of him protecting me, but also him protecting himself because he's still worried he's not enough. Yes. Insecurities. She decides, fuck that. I'm going to go be with Wynn if he'll let me. And she leaves the building and enters the parking lot and sees Wynn pull up and he came after her. Aww. (laughs) But it was funny because she's like, why are you here? And he's like, you didn't say bye. And she's like, what, you just came here to say bye? (laughs) Is that why you're here? (laughs) She says, you know, you told me that I can't let other people tell me what I want. Does that include you? Do you get to tell me what will or won't make me happy? He's like, um, I I wasn't trying to do that. (laughs) She's like, well, you were, but I want my life to be like pottery and I want to be with you. That's what I want. I don't want to be in this horrible career that I hate and have no free time and not be with the man I love. I want to love my life and be free. And then he tells her he was planning to follow her anywhere. And he says, quote, it's not home unless you're there. I share I love yous. And it's very sweet. So Harriet withdraws from her residency. And she calls her parents and lets them know. They freak the fuck out. And they're like, don't do anything. We're coming to San Francisco. We're going to help you figure everything out. And she says, no, I'm not in San Francisco. I'm moving to Montana. I got a job at a pottery studio. <laughs> and we're not very good, but I love it. <laughs> I'm going to make butt bowls for a living. (laughs) Uh, After she hangs up, she gets a supportive text with Eloise and they end up having a conversation and she gets some more insight into Eloise. Yeah, see, this is what it's like when you don't do what parents want. I'm here for you if you want me to be. Come over to the dark side. We have cookies. (laughs) Right. And edibles. (laughs) Good ones, apparently. As time passes, her dad starts to come around and he starts to kind of get on the pottery train and being a little bit more supportive. And her parents come visit her in Montana. It's really awkward. Her dad's especially trying. Her mom is silent a lot. But later she and Harriet talk and we learn again the mom is just worried that Harriet is giving everything up for win, just like she did for Harriet's dad. And don't settle for a man, Harriet. And Harriet's like, I'm happy. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. I came to Montana for myself. When their visit ends, you're left feeling like things are probably going to improve with the parents. You know, it's going to take a while, but they're starting to realize maybe that what they've been doing this whole time is not okay. Yes. Harriet and Wynn have gotten an apartment together. They've set a wedding date. Cleo and Kimmy now have their daughter, Zora. Harriet's gone back to San Francisco to pack up her apartment and her mom helped her out and helped her drive it back to Montana. Harriet and Eloise text sometimes, so maybe they'll work on developing a sister relationship. And ultimately, the story ends with Harriet being happy and content and coming to the conclusion that Wynn is her happy place. So wherever he is, is where she wants to be. The end. Yay! How was the audiobook? Uh, It was really good. Uh, it was narrated by Julia Wellen. She's done Henry's other books. Oh, okay. 
she does a superb job narrating. They are they are a good combination. Awesome, awesome. From the audiobook perspective, how did you feel about how much inner turmoil there was in this book? Do you feel like it was handled well? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Wellen's really good at that. I don't know how she does it. She has the skills. But yes, you feel the angst. How does she narrate without bursting into tears? Dude. I think at one point she may have cried. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> act, like you're in the moment acting crying, not like she herself personally broke down into tears. <laughs> Although maybe she did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I got a little choked up at one point. I don't know how she does it because it's her craft and her skill set. But yeah, she she does a very good job. She's she's good at her job. I'm not good at talking, but she's good at her job. <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't your job. Thank God. <laughs> Talking is not my job. Thank God. <laughs> Are you happy for their happy? I am happy for them. I I also think that they're in a place where they will be more happy in the future for them. So it makes me feel better. There will be less turmoil in the future, I hope. What about you? I'm happy for them too. I do feel a lot for Harriet's situation because she was kind of in a really tough spot with the fact that for them to be together, one of them was going to have to give something up. Yeah. And who was going to give something up? Yes. And luckily, she didn't really want to be a doctor. I wonder. I find that aspect of the story a little unbelievable, giving up the doctor thing. I believe that she didn't like it. Yes. Yeah, I wonder if she couldn't just kind of take a step back and rethink. Maybe not that kind of physician or surgeon. I don't know. It feels like a big, big thing to give up. Now, if you're in medical school and you don't like it and you want to give it up, then yeah, go ahead. You do you, boo. But just the crushing weight of debt. Oh my god. Yes. And then not only that, but the amount of time that she spent, she spent her entire adult life working on this. And conversely, I could see how that keeps her in that position, too, because you don't want to step away. Yeah, it's just, oh, how hard. That's why I kind of wonder if once she takes a step <laughs> back, if she doesn't reassess in some way, maybe not go down that specific path, but like backtrack a little and then go down some sort of connected path. It makes me wonder what would be available to her at that point if you've withdrawn from a residency and then you take a sabbatical of God knows how long. Is there a re-entry point that's easy without having to redo some of the other stuff? Well, she may have to redo some stuff. I don't know. I kind of wonder, like, how much is she screwed if she decides she wants to do it after all? I don't think she'll want to do it after all, and I don't think she'll have to because... Wynn is making super expensive custom furniture now. So he can just pay off her loans. It's fine. <laughs> yes, there you go. That's the happy ending. He bails her out financially. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Get yourself a rich guy. Uh, no, it's just that's the stumbling block to the happy for me is now she has medical debt hanging over her head forever, but no job to show for it. Yeah, no, I think she... She was feeling the crushing weight of everything, and she needed to breathe some fresh air, so to speak. Oh, I agree. She needs perspective. Yeah. 
Maybe this is just me, but I can't imagine pursuing something like that for that long and not liking it a little bit or not getting something out of it. I understand she probably needed a break. Yeah, let's go make some pottery. Low stakes. Okay, this is nice. (laughs) But then I kind of wondered at a certain point where she goes, okay, I need to have something to fill that void in time. Because she is a highly motivated person. So I don't know if she'd really be satisfied making pottery long term. But I don't think it's about the long term. I think it's about her standing up for herself and saying, no, now I'm going to go after what I want. I think for most of the story and for most of her life, she was trapped on this path. And she didn't allow herself to even think about deviating from the path. And I think the story ultimately is about her realizing, you know, I don't have to stay on this path. Mm -hmm. If it's not making me happy, I could go on a different path. It's fine. Yes. I think... We do get a little bit of an answer to your question with Wynn saying he's willing to follow her anywhere, which means I think if for some reason she did want to go somewhere else, he would follow her. But that just seems a little off, too, because he's now a successful businessman in Montana. And he has family obligations. And he loves it there. Like, he's happy there. Yeah, I guess... If I were writing what I think their future is, like their five or ten year plan, I think it would be for her to still pursue something with a medical degree, finish that, but doing so in Montana. It feels more realistic. Yeah, maybe lower stakes than brain surgery. She could teach at the college or something. Yeah, something. Or, I I don't know, be a small town doctor. I think the way the story was written and the way the story was told is that she was not happy, she does not want to be a doctor, and she wants to do things she loves and be with people she loves, and right now that's pottery and win. Yep. The end. <laughs> like I said, it's it's her sort of standing up for herself. And as far as them being together, I think as long as life lets them be together, they're going to be happy. Yes. They love each other. They have really good chemistry together. We get a lot of couple time in the form of the flashbacks. They really worked as a couple. And now that they've finally realized, you know, hey, we can actually talk to each other and be vulnerable with each other. And it's okay. I mean, that was really their last hurdle as far as their relationship goes. Now, the logistics portion of it, I'm less sure. (laughs) Yeah, they've learned to communicate better. But, but it's realistic, too. I mean, often people are in relationships and it is a give and take. You know, sometimes you give up something for the other person and then maybe later they give up something for you and you're both working toward the health of the relationship together. In a way, I really related to that aspect of the story. Sometimes you're, you're, you have to choose. You don't get to get 100% of what you want. No. There's no have everything. But that doesn't mean you can't be happy. That doesn't mean that your life can't be good and fulfilled. I think of this sort of thing as like a crossroads sort of decision Mm -hmm. where you can see ahead of you. It's almost like your life is, is a line and you can see it branching into two different directions. And you know, whichever one you pick, (laughs) you obviously can't pick the other one and you can't go back. You can only go forward because that's how time works, unfortunately. 
<laughs> I think it's easy to get stuck at that point where you don't want to make a decision because either one is going to dramatically change your life. And how do you know which one's right? And ultimately, they could both be right for different reasons. And just because you pick choice A doesn't mean that you will never meet up again with choice B. It's just possibly going to be in a different location or slightly different. It'll be choice B plus or something. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is for Harriet. She was at that crossroads point where I can either choose my relationship with Wynn and being happy with Wynn, or I can choose my career that I've worked on for like a decade. <laughs> mm -hmm. But she's worked on her relationship with Wynn for the same amount of time almost. Yeah. The time investment is the same. The personal investment is with Wynn. And I think that's why she made that choice. She wasn't personally invested in the doctor thing. Which is unfortunate considering how long that took and how much she invested of herself and money and all that stuff. Yeah, but like you were saying, that doesn't mean that the doctor thing can't come up again. It could, maybe. I would assume that she would at least like it a little, or she would like some parts of it. From the text, we know that she likes helping people. All the biology and the chemistry and the, like, all of that. So, let's rate them! Okay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about Harriet, how do you rate her? I put her as awesome. And I think she was also really well written. I feel like she asserted herself. She finally got to the point where she was saying, yes, this is what I want. And, you know, I felt bad for her. It's a crap situation that she was in. But yeah, I think she was awesome. I think she overcame. I think she overcame her parents and her own issues. So yeah, awesome. What about you? I rate Harriet awesome as well. I really liked her, thought she was well written. I really identified with her in some places. I thought her problems were realistically portrayed and mm -hmm. I felt empathy with the character. I think she did do a lot of growth in the story. I think that there's still room for improvement. You know, she's learning about the wonderful world of communication, <laughs> how that can make things so much better. But I think she's there, like she wants to do it. She wants to put in the work. And I think that letting go of what her parents wanted for her, or what she even thought her parents wanted for her, you know? Yeah. Ultimately, letting go of earning their approval or whatnot, that's so fucking hard. I think that was harder for her than letting go of the medical career. <laughs> yeah. I think it was the parent thing. That sort of shit gets put into your mind real early as a kid, and then you're stuck with it forever. Hmm. And then she's telling herself this story constantly about, oh, if I can only do this or that or be perfect in just the right way, then things will be fine. I mean, she learned that as a child, as a little bitty peanut. But I think she's on the journey. She's on the journey of self-improvement, and she's with Wynn, who also is on the journey of self-improvement. And I think she is happy. and. I think she made the choice to be happy, and I think that's awesome. How did you rate Wynn? I rated Wynn awesome, too. I commend him for doing the things he needed to do to get to a good place. And you can tell, like, with the way it's written, like, how much he doesn't try to control her, make the decisions for her when that's kind of what she wants him to do. Oh, yeah, she does. 
And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't put me in that position. No, thank you. No. He found his own happy place and his own good equilibrium. And I commend him for that. So yeah, he's awesome. What about you? I think Wynn is awesome as well. He's an interesting character. We don't get into his head. All of this is through Harriet. Yes. The author does a great job of portraying Wynne through Harriet's eyes, and we get all sorts of fun clues and whatnot as to what he might really be thinking and feeling and everything. I feel like we get a really good understanding of him. I feel like there's one thing about Wynne that I have mixed feelings on. Hmm, what's that? And that is how desperately he's in love with her. Hmm. Because... I feel like we're being told two different things and I'm struggling to put them in the same box together. Okay. He is happy and successful and satisfied in Montana and he's willing to live his life without her if that is what will make her happy. And granted, at this point in the story, when the story starts, he's willing to be a martyr or sacrifice being with her so that she can be happy. He's setting her free, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. But he's done all the self-improvement stuff. He's gone through therapy. He's on meds. He's taking care of himself. He's with his family. He's in the place where he wants to be. He's finally got a career. He's finally got drive. He's got stuff he's working on. And he's fine without her. He really is. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the end of the book where he's telling her he's going to follow her wherever she goes, I struggle to really believe that. Yeah. Do you think that is something that he says just in the moment because he's so afraid of losing her? I don't know. I'm trying to think of it like, well, maybe it's just he's willing to live in the present right now and see where things go. Mm -hmm. He's willing to trust her that this is truly what she wants. And go with it. I wonder though, like, if she wasn't happy there, let's say they get married and things are fine for a couple years, and then she realizes, you know what? I'm not happy. This isn't what I want. I feel stifled here. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. Yeah. What about my medical career? Oh my gosh. What did I do? Yeah. Or who knows, right? Would he be willing to follow her wherever? I don't know. Because I keep thinking back to the point in the story where he tells her he's always going to fight for her. And I think what he meant was that he would fight for her to be happy, Mm. not fight to be with her. Now, granted, there's no clues that there's this trouble brewing in paradise. This is just me being a cynic. (laughs) (laughs) But is he as invested? I don't know. I think he's more invested in her happiness than in their relationship. I think you're right. I think that's a valid point. I don't think that makes him less awesome, but it is like a really sort of complicated character, you know? And <laughs> we don't get in his head at all. It's like that idea of like, if you, <laughs> if you love something, you let it go. And I think that's him. Yes. I don't think he would word it that way to her because I think he's trying to be diplomatic, if you will, and put it the kindest way possible. It makes me feel sad for her in a way because that's not how she interprets it. And that's not what she wants from him. Yeah. She wants him to fight for their relationship. She wants him to fight for them to be happy together. And it just, he lucked out that she likes Montana and wants to do pottery now. Yeah. 
Uh, it sounds like I didn't like the book. I did like the book. Oh, my God. It's just... And I think they're awesome. And I think they're wonderful together. And uh, But it's like the longer I think about it, the longer I talk about it, it's like these are real, real people that the author has written here, you know? Yeah. They definitely feel real. <laughs> they're not one-note characters. And they have their own motivations that may not always match up. And oh, my gosh. And ah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> All right. What about the antagonists or villains in this book? So for the villains, I listed, I don't think you'll be surprised by this, Harriet and Wynne, because they are kind of their own antagonists, right? Yes. Their psychology keeps them from getting what they want. And then I put her in the list. She's, I think of her less as an antagonist, but she definitely kind of seems a little bit villainous to me, which is Sabrina. Yeah. Usually on this list, it's more antagonist than villain. But yeah, she she does like the whole manipulation thing. And then, I mean, everyone in the story is so martyred-ish. And so, so happy to get up on that cross. It's very dramatic. But I feel like with her, it's like tooth and nail. Like she's going to crawl up that thing. She doesn't need <laughs> any help. <laughs> it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Good luck, Parth. <laughs> and then obviously harriet's parents are on the list yeah and i feel like they were very effective i felt like sabrina was effective and i also feel like she was a well-done character and you can see it she doesn't want her family to break up again so she is going to do everything that she can to make sure that her family stays together yes whether they like it or not <laughs> damn it the Barbies will be happy. <laughs> it's a little, okay, breathe. <laughs> Free will is a thing. <laughs> is it though? It just reminded me, not that she's on this list, but Cleo, she made a valid point when she was saying, because you were trying to basically keep us in this time frame, we don't get to talk about these other adult things that are going on. Yeah. Because you're basically trying to keep it, not kids, but... Yeah, the glory days. You have to, you have to let us grow up. <laughs> basically. Right. <laughs> Which means you have to grow up too. Well, I mean, you don't have to. Growing up can be optional to a certain degree, depending on one's life. To transition back to the list. Yes, Harry's parents are, of course, on the list and they're very villainous. Although, uh, are they bad people? I don't know. I think they definitely wanted what was best. They just had a very narrow idea of what was best. Sometimes doesn't feel very quote unquote best. Anyway, that was explained very poorly. <laughs> feel free to take it away. <laughs> take me away. Haha. Where life is beautiful all the time. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> I agree with your list. I put Harriet's parents. I thought they were pretty effective pretty much because they installed those buttons in Harriet and that really affected her throughout the whole story. I don't think they were bad people. I think they just were deeply unhappy people. Mm -hmm. Didn't manage it in a healthy way. And unfortunately, like I said, installed those buttons. <laughs> yeah, And I think they wanted their kids happy. They just had a very narrow idea of what happy could be. Yeah, because they were stuck in their own lost dreams. Mm -hmm. 
Sabrina, I agree with you. I think she was a big antagonist in the book, basically because she was orchestrating the whole thing. You know, she's the puppet master or whatever. And then when it's revealed, not only is there that, but there's that sense of betrayal from Harriet. Mm-hmm. And Cleo, can't you just let us be human? <laughs> can't we just be the way we are? And yet I think Sabrina was really well written because she had reasons for why she was acting that way. And we oh, knew yeah. those reasons. We we understand Sabrina. I get where she's coming from. Oh, yeah, totally. I feel for her. But she was not doing it the right way, you know? <laughs> no. Her motivations are very understandable, which is why she works so well. Yeah, so I thought she was really effective. And then I think that, I don't know, I hesitate to say it's Harriet. I think it's more that crossroads decision type of thing that I talked about earlier, I think is a big antagonistic element in the story because it's hanging over their heads. Mm -hmm. How are they going to be together if Harriet can't make a decision? Yeah. And I think ultimately it was overcome. Harriet made the decision. Apparently everything's great. And I'm, you know, I hope things are. <laughs> I don't want. <laughs> uh, Emily Henry, I do not want a part two where they are not happy. Let's just <laughs> let them be happy forever. I'm good with that. <laughs> as much as I'm picking it apart, I'm good with it. I want them there. <laughs> um, but I think... That decision, like that pending decision, that sort of Damocles was just a major component of the story. And I think it was really effective. It drove a lot of the angst between the couple. Yes. And I think Wynne was just waiting for Harriet to make some kind of decision. I think that's why he kept asking her, what is this? You know, when they kiss. Yeah. What is this? What are we? What does this mean? <laughs> Define the thing for me, please. And she kept waffling. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it was a pretty effective part of the story. Yeah, I mean, she's never had to make a decision, really. So decision making is new for her. Seriously, I yeah, mean, her parents told her everything that she was supposed to do, and she did it. And then especially with school, it was, okay, well, if you're going on this path, then these are the classes that you take. And this is the, like, she was on a track the whole time. She never really had to make a choice. Not much of one. She's an inexperienced choice maker. And then poor Wynn is yeah. just like, I don't want to make this decision for you because I don't want you to regret it. Well, yeah, he's, I think he's trying to save her from the type of relationship that her parents have, right? Well, and to also know that he's wanted for, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, there's, there's that too. But I think he, he doesn't want to be Harriet's dad. No. And turn Harriet into Harriet's mom, which is what she asked him for that one time long long ago and yeah you're right he's got his own insecurities bundled up in that but i think that's part of it too you know mm -hmm. okay awkward segue let's rate the book <laughs> i gave the book a 4.5 nice yes i do like her books what about you i gave the book a five. Oh, woo i laughed i cried i felt read it in one sitting Sitting on the couch next to my husband, sobbing. He's like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> He's like, are you sure, though? <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> Happy tears. I felt, I have to say, 
I've really enjoyed every Emily Henry book that we've read. And I think this is the third one we've read for the podcast. But I just, I love them, but I kind of dread reading them too, because I know it's going to be like this emotional <laughs> roller coaster. And that's not usually what I'm signing up for when I read a romance book. I want like the happy. And I mean, there is the happy, but there's a lot of angst. So a five, as long as you want the angst. <sighs> I wish you could see me. I'm like waving my arms around just a very wavy arm moving episode. Well, on that note, did you feel romanced? Oh, I don't know why tough. we transitioned from arm waving to romance, but sure. I, yeah, I don't know. I, so yes. Yay. It was, it was weird though. Cause it's like the way the romance got ramped up in this book was in a lot of the past scenes the flashback scenes mm-hmm. you know you get a lot of the sexual tension in the flashback scenes you get a lot of the new love sort of stuff in the flashback scenes you know all that fun stuff and then you get all the angst and sort of stuff in the present day scenes i think that the way the story was crafted was really good because we had that background to fall back on and be like no they actually really belong together see see Back then, they were great. <laughs> they could be great again. Look. And I think that's what they were experiencing, too, you know, as they were meeting up again and having the forced proximity and all the touchy-feely and all that. And it's like, oh, but it was so good. Why did we stop? So you made a great dinner and the food is cold now. Uh-huh. And that's where the story begins. And you're like, I really like this food, but it's cold. <laughs> oh, but it used to be hot and delicious. Can we heat it up? Is it still good? I don't know. Let's find out. That's a bad, bad metaphor. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let me try again. Okay. Uh, Okay. I guess it's just the fact that it's a second chance romance, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. So you have the shared history of the couple and the knowledge that the couple used to be good. And so there's the romance that's kind of simmering in the background and you're waiting for them to bring it forth again, I guess. I mean, they ultimately do, but I think a lot of the romance was in the simmering. Hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining this right. Anyway, did you feel romanced, Em? No. God damn it. <laughs> How dare you? Sorry. I could lie if it'll make you feel better. No, we like truth-telling on this podcast. I know, hence the not lying. <laughs> <laughs> Only the truth. All the truth. All the time. Make it hurt. All right, tell me about how you're killing my hopes and dreams. Go ahead. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to word it. Murder your little darlings. Um, <laughs> You use the voice. <laughs> I have multiple voices. You always say the voice, but they're all the voice, so sometimes I don't know which... which voice do you mean (laughs) don't let that derail you keep going (laughs) i mean it's not that the couple didn't have chemistry i just i don't know i didn't connect i enjoyed it i always enjoy her books that's good at least i think it's sort of like what you were saying which is you could feel the romance in the flashbacks but not so much in the present there's a lot of angst. Even when the past catches up with the present kind of thing, I am more nervous for them going forward than I am confident. In all honesty, like, I feel like Wynn's going to be fine because I think his ducks, they're in a row. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not a straight row. <laughs> Maybe there's some curves in that. But mm-hmm. 
they're grouped. His ducks are grouped. And with her, her ducks are... I think she knows where most of them are, which is good. And we'll just see. <laughs> and I think, again, it, it's because she's not used to making decisions. She needs to figure out who she is now that she is not on that path that she was on. That was her whole life. Yep. She's been on that path up until the end of the story. Exactly. So she needs to figure out who she is. And I think even though, yeah, it is kind of sad where he's just, his attitude is, I want you to be happy, regardless of whether we're together. I think his attitude, I appreciate and find more healthy than hers. I agree. And maybe, maybe that's why in the end I didn't feel romanced because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Is the shoe going to drop? I don't know. I'm not willing to commit to my feelings. Because <laughs> I did feel that they had chemistry. I mean, that's, that's Henry's excellent writing and Wellen's great narration. Yeah. It's me. <laughs> it's not them. It's me. It's always you. But I love you. <laughs> What else have you been reading? Well, I read, uh, or I shouldn't say read, I listened to On Writing by Stephen King, which is the first time I've done the audiobook version, because I've read On Writing before. I've read it on and off over the years. Sometimes just little passages, sometimes the whole book. I recommend it. I think it's good. This audiobook is the 20th anniversary edition. Ooh. It includes... His two of his sons, two of his sons, he has two sons. It's all of his sons. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I crack myself up. I'm so easily amused. It includes every single one of his sons. (laughs) All two of them. Yep. So Owen King reads an essay about how his dad used to pay him to record audiobooks for him. Oh, fun. Yeah. So it basically he got to earn a wage. And then it also got Owen to read stories he wouldn't normally read. Yeah. Because these were stories, presumably, that King himself wanted to listen to. Yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> and then it also has... A recording of a conversation between Stephen King and Joe Hill. The other of all his sons. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So yeah, they talk about writing, they give each other shit. It's great. Oh, cool. It was interesting to hear the book that I've read repeatedly in his words. Like, it's his words and his voice. Yeah. It was also interesting to listen to his conversation with the son. They're very adorable. Yes. The half of all his sons. <laughs> half of his sons. I can't let it go. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> anyway, so what have you been reading? Are there any sons? The multitude of <laughs> half of his sons. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, were you asking me what I was reading? Yes. <laughs> okay. I recently finished... The Werewolf Nanny by Amanda Milo. And I think I've wrecked another book by Amanda Milo before. Love her. Anyways, The Werewolf Nanny takes place in a world where werewolves have come out. They exist now. Woohoo! Finally. They are here. 
Let's go howl at the moon. Alongside humans. Oh, those silly little humans. One of the humans is a struggling single mom who is not having a good time because her babysitter is no longer available and she doesn't know what she's going to do to take care of her children and keep her job. She works for a werewolf who owns a pub. He kind of has a crush on her and he's like, don't worry, I'll handle it. I'll make sure everything's fine. They will have all of their limbs when you return. And their heads will still be attached. And he brings in a werewolf nanny for her to have. I guess until her shit gets handled. Yay! There's this great, interesting, wonderful werewolf dynamic in the story that I was super into because normally I hate this. Because you always have the alpha shifter and they're big and bossy and oh my god, you're going to do what I say and I want you woman and I'm going to fix it. And when the story starts, that's what we get, right? The boss, he's not the love interest. (laughs) The werewolf nanny is a quote unquote submissive werewolf, which basically means that he has a very, very, very submissive personality. He can't even look you in the eyes. Huh. So... (laughs) Finn, the boss, brings this other werewolf into her house and he's like, all right, she's your alpha now. You have to listen to her. (laughs) Go do what she says. And he's just like, oh, oh my God. (laughs) Oh, poor buddy. Basically, in this world, there's only two types. You've got the alphas and you got the submissives. Typically, the humans don't really see the submissives because they all live in pack land and do their submissive thing all by themselves, but they're great with children. Mm. Hence, very good nannies. This one is no exception, and love ensues. It's just great. It's funny. It's fascinating. The culture that the author has created for this story is something I hadn't really read before. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed a super submissive hero. He's not really submissive in bed. Like, that's not what I mean by submissive. I just mean like, He struggles to be around other people and their energy. He feels like he he has like this urge to submit, I guess, like this urge to just, okay, you can't see me, but I'm kind of ducking down like, okay, whatever you want. He's really cute. I love him. Aww. And he really works for our heroine because her ex was an asshole and she likes being in charge now. Like she doesn't want to have another man telling her what to do all the time. So she's happy in this relationship where she has a man who will support her and be there for her, but isn't trying to railroad her like an alpha would. Yeah, I I loved it. It was great. Well, good. I'm glad. And now <laughs> we've reached a crossroads and oh, no. we can either keep going or we can end the episode. Either one is going to change our lives. Let's be brave and end the episode. <laughs> What, do you have things to do or something? Gosh. Yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our social media links, show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Come visit our social media. Let us know what you think. And uh, we are not going to see it because we don't go on there. But <laughs> you can talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs>
yell into the void, and the void will just suck it up and you'll never see it again. Yay? I guess. I don't know. Speaking of the void, were you really <laughs> 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 in one story? Yep. <laughs> Let us and or the void know what you think. <laughs> of course. Join us next time when we discuss Ocean's Echo by Everina Maxwell. That closing was just as good as our opening, I think. Yep. We really are improving. <laughs> That's what you want to call it? I'm going to call it a win. <laughs> a Wyndham? <laughs> a win with a Y. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> why, dear God, why? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, wow, we haven't recorded it at night in a while, but we are punchy. <laughs>